Come on. If that song won't get stuck in your head, I don't know what will right there. All week, just. Man, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. If you love the Lord, say amen. Like I said earlier, my name's Pastor Ben. I'm an associate pastor on campus. It's been great to get to know everyone. I want to take just a quick moment uh, and just say Hey to our Go Church family in Montgomery County, Maryland, 700 miles away. Can you give it up for our Go Church family? Maybe you're new. We are one church, two locations, and we love you. We're excited that you're, that you're watching online. We're thankful for our Go Church family. Also, our online viewers are growing every week. We thank you. Hey, take a moment. Check in at the bottom of the live stream. Tell us where you're from. We'd love to hear. We'd love to connect with you. We appreciate you. And last but not least, can we give it up for our men and women around the globe that are serving this great country in uniform? We love you. We thank you for watching. Man, it is an honor to be in this pulpit uh, for several reasons. Uh, Pastor, you know, JC, he's not feeling the best, so he brought in, you know, just a DH right here, baby, ready to swing. Um, but uh, I am so honored to be able to stand in a pulpit that has been honored itself by, by, by Pastor Allen. You are a gift. You are a gift, sir. You and Dr. Valerie. You've raised some incredible children. You've raised an incredible church. And we're also thankful for Pastor JC and Kimberly. We love you where you are. I know you're watching because you don't fully trust me yet. It's okay. And um, watching to make sure I don't do anything silly. But hey, we're in week three of our Stay Positive series. Have you enjoyed this series today, this week? Man, I've, I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed last week. Pastor talked about enthusiasm. I am an enthusiastic individual. If you've been around me for about Five minutes, you know that I, you know, you see me down front worshiping. I don't care how many twirly birds I do or what you think about that. That's just me. I'm my own person. I love enthusiasm. And last week he talked about the root word of enthusiasm, that on theos, that being filled with God, and that we are called to be full of that joy, full of that enthusiasm, just like David. And so I want to pick up right there Today And I want to start with our verse from last week, John 16, 33. I love this. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. God has already, has already won the victory for what we're dealing with today. And so today I want to talk about the word Confidence. Look at your neighbor and say confidence. Are you confident this morning? Confidence by definition is this. It's the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It is a firm trust. I've got confidence. You've got to have confidence. I think everyone in this room, if we were honest, at some point in time, we've struggled 
with confidence. Maybe it was in elementary school. If you were like me, I was actually really, really short uh, in, throughout school, even in high school. I know I'm 6'4 now. Um, I'm not like quite like Don tall. Don, wherever you are, you're a giant. Uh, but I remember that was a little bit of a tough time. Hey, maybe, maybe you didn't have confidence when you started day one of your new career. That's always a little bit iffy. Uh, or maybe, hey, maybe when you asked your wife to marry you, it was a straight 50-50 shot. Like she could have said no. But she said yes. Come on. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad, gentlemen, that somebody said yes to you? Amen. Two of you. Great. Tough crowd this morning, but that's okay. We've got a marriage ministry. So whatever the reason, confidence can be really hard to come by, Uh, especially in this day and age with social media, right? Um, If we could describe our feeds on whatever platform that you use, it's like political post, political post, political post. Recipe, that, that's my mom. She always shares the recipe. Uh, political post, political post. And then, hey, maybe right in there, there's a puppy post or something like that. But, but I really feel like there is such an overabundance of insecurity in our nation and in our culture today. Amen? And it's not just kids that are dealing with it, right? We always like, you know, kids, middle school, pimples, you're struggling with that puberty thing. You've got to be insecure. But I know plenty of adults that are insecure. I know plenty of adults that that still haven't found their place or their calling, and so they're usually negative people to be around. But I think if we could nail down three major types of insecure people, they're this. The first one is the people pleaser. Everybody say people pleaser. People pleasers are great because they make you, if you're the one getting pleased, they make you feel like you're on like cloud nine. You know, they come to you and they're like, hey, you have beautiful hair. Do you need anything? Do you need my car? Do you need my kids? Do you need my 401k or my social security number? You know, they're, they're always like, you need me day or night. You call me. Don't worry. I'll find you. You don't even have to tell me where you are. Like people pleasers are over the top kind of people. And then I think the second one uh, is, is fishers. And let me explain that. A fisher is someone who is fishing for a compliment. You know anybody like that? Don't look around right now, please. Please don't look around. But they're fishing for a compliment, right? They're the kind of person that puts online, you know, they, they take a picture of their outfit. They're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so ugly. <laughs> this outfit doesn't fit. And you know, Goodwill, that outfit is looking right. And they're just like, no, you're beautiful. You're kind. Or parents do it, right? They'll put, take a picture of, like, something their kid destroyed. They're like, I'm a terrible parent. And then, like, 80 moms go, no, you're not. You're not a bad mom. Like, they're fishing for this compliment, Right? They want, they want the attention. They, they, they need that satisfaction. And then the most annoying of all three has to be the one-upper. <sighs> Come on, somebody. You ever tell a story and someone's like, nope, yep, I, let, let me tell you what happened to me, you know? You could be like, hey, I ran 20 minutes today. 20 minutes, that's a lot for some people. You know what I mean? Like, I ran 20 minutes. No doubt there'll be someone that goes, hey, great job. I just ran my 20th marathon, you know? <laughs> In record time. But hey, keep up the good work. You're looking great. You know, like it's always one-upper. One-uppers are, they're they're like everywhere. But I believe um, that God has called us to talk today about what are healthy, real, and most importantly, godly relationships and confidence looks like in this world. If we're going to be light in this world, then we have to display something other than what is being displayed by this culture. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read quite a bit of the word today. Is that good? Awesome. Yes, some of you haven't done your devotions in a while, so don't worry, I got your back right here. (laughs) 
We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 17. The story is David and Goliath. I want to kind of take uh, another step from what Pastor went on last week. But starting in verse 17, David, he, the, the Israelite army is facing Goliath. They're standing there. And Jesse has an important task for his youngest son, David. And picking up in verse 17, it says... One day, Jesse said to David, take this, this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on what they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philippines. So David left his sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as just as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Can I stop right there? David is guilty of only one thing right here, and that is being obedient and serving God in this moment. He's serving his father. He's serving the wishes of, his, of, of what his, the person in authority over him is asking him to do. And I think many of us, uh, you know, if we're honest, aren't really willing to carry the cheese, right? We want the microphone first, but not the mop. Don't give me that mop, you know? You know, that's okay. We want the microphone, but keep going. Let's keep going before I get going. Verse 26, we're going to skip down just a little bit. Goliath, he's, he's done his whole spiel. He's standing out front shouting, cursing God. David walks up, hears this, and David asks the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing his Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But check this out in verse 28. But David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men and he was angry. What are you doing here anyways, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to be seen here at the battle. What have I done, David replied, just like, you know, like your young, younger sibling would do. I haven't done anything. <laughs> so, so David replied, I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine. I want you to see this level of confidence that he has. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go find him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. And he has been a man of war since his youth. But I like what David does here. He says, but David persisted. Somebody say persisted. I have been Taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said, when a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it with the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Come on. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. I want to talk about four ways that confidence comes. Look at your neighbor and say, are you confident this morning? Four ways that confidence comes. And I think the first one is confidence comes from knowing you have a calling and a purpose. Confidence comes from knowing you have a call and a purpose. You see, before David even had this moment, 
before he even had this time in front of Goliath and even slayed him, David was anointed a king as a young boy. Remember just a few chapters before, that's probably where this, this, this jealousy comes from his brothers is that David's already been picked to lead. He's already been anointed. He knew that he was set apart as a young man to do incredible things. But what I find when we read this scripture is that many of us have a hard time believing that God's plan for us is great. We have a hard time believing that God has a seat for us at the table. And so what we do is we discount what we bring to the table because we assume that God cannot use damaged goods, that he cannot use our faults, he can't use me because I can't preach or I can't stand in front of a pulpit, and we begin to discount the very creation that God made us to be. And I can't help but think that that is offensive to the one who made us. Because he called us. He knows we have a lack of experience. He knows you're weak. He knows you have fear. But when God chose to put a calling on you, he did not consult your ability to fulfill it. He didn't call you up before you were born and say, hey, do you think you could do this plan for me? No. He knows just like the creator knows what he put inside of you and inside of me. He knows you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be a minister. I wish everyone in this room who's got a butt in a seat would realize that you are called to minister where you are. You're called to minister in your job place, in your neighborhood. You're called to minister throughout the world. You're called to greet the people coming in and out of this door. There is a calling on all of your life. Whether you are a plumber or you are a preacher, you are no different in the eyes of the Lord and in the kingdom. Stop waiting for the microphone. Start checking kids in. Start ushering people in. Stop assuming that God's just going to throw you onto the platform first thing the moment that he calls you because David did not get that chance. David killed the bear and the lion first. He, he knew that he had a little bit of practice time before he got to the pulpit and his moment. But confidence comes in knowing you have a calling and purpose, and every single one of you do. Second thing I know is that confidence, confidence comes from having the right voices in your life. Having the right voices in your life. You know, when I read this story, I can't help but notice how everyone in David's life that mattered to him tried to talk him out of what God sent him there to do. Let's, let's look at verse, verse 28 real fast. Whoop, that was first time using this. Verse 28. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. Look at what he says. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep? I bet he didn't have a few sheep. He was just trying to insult him a little bit more. Few sheep you're supposed to be taking of. I know your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. You know, I grew up in a large family of eight, okay, eight people, three bedroom, one and a half bath house. It was glorious. Um, I grew up, and you know what, I have younger siblings, and maybe, and I mean barely maybe, I have said something along these lines before to my younger siblings, my, especially my younger sisters. You know, get to that point where you're like, what are you doing here? Why are you bothering me? Why are you have a problem? See, David's brothers saw him as a nuisance, but David knew in his heart 
that he was a warrior, okay? That's why you got to know your calling. That's why you got to know what God's asked you to do because there's going to come a time where not everyone in your life is going to understand a warrior's cause. They're not going to understand the calling that God put on your life. They're not going to understand those things. And what's sad is that the same people who he cared for and the same people that you may care for will sometimes be the ones who try to talk you out of what God is trying to shift in your life. Amen? That's why you've got to know what the right voice is. You have to know who to listen to and who to not listen to. Stop letting people who do so little for you control so much of you. Can I tell you, people's input in your life needs to match their investment. You cannot give an ear to people who don't care about you anyways, who don't want any part with your future or what you're doing. You need to tune them out. We waste so much energy on trying to impress people whose favor is less than the favor of the Father. Tune them out. Tune them out. They don't belong. The Bible says stir up the gift, not look for validation for your gift. It says stir it up. Stir it up in your spirit. Walk in the anointing. Walk in the gifting that I have for you. Stop asking everybody's opinion. Stop doing the post. Stop being the people pleaser. Stop fishing for a compliment. The compliment you got is God breathed life into you today. God knows what he's called you to do. Every voice that's whispered in your ear and tells you that you'll never make it is a liar. Every voice that tells you you don't have what it takes is a liar. Depression is a liar. Disease is a liar. Lack of faith is a liar. Sickness is a liar. Discouragement is a liar. That voice that says you are not good enough, you are a liar. You have to get to the place where you know God's voice above all else. You know when he tells you to do what he's telling you to do, and my word of advice for you is to do it, not to run. Not to run from what God is opening the door in your life for. Even if you don't think you can do it. Get to the place where you can tune out the voice of defeat and tune in to the voice of God. The third thing I think confidence comes in the waiting. Look at your neighbor and say, in the waiting. Confidence comes in the waiting. What I love about David is that he found himself in his destiny's greatest moment and he did it accidentally. He didn't come there to fight. He did not wake up and go, I'm going to fight Goliath today, baby. No, no. You know what he did? He woke up to deliver a Lunchable. That's what he did. His dad said, take some cheese, take some bread, go feed your brothers. You know he didn't want to because they pick on him all the time anyways. But he did it. The problem with us is that we don't wait well, right? We don't wait well. I will never forget this moment. I dated a girl in high school. You know, that's the one, that, the first one you date in high school is the one you're going to marry uh, like you feel like that all the time. Uh, but I remember being a drive through with her dad. And we pulled up to the line at Bojangles. And they said, sir, you're going to have to pull forward. The chicken is not ready. And he goes, nope. And the lady looked at him like, well, I'm sorry, what, sir? <laughs> she said, we need, to pull, we need you to pull forward so that we can get these other people's orders together. He said, nope. Not happening. Not moving. I will not. I mean, he just pitched a fit. You know, like deacon in the church, you know, acting a fool at Bojangles. <laughs> like, 
We don't wait well. How many times have you burned your tongue on some Totino's pizza rolls because you didn't wait for them to cool off when they got out of the microwave, right? Or you burned your tongue on some hot coffee and ruined the rest of breakfast just like that. We don't wait well. You know, my first few years in ministry, if I could describe them to you, they would be full of enthusiasm and zero patience. Right, I wanted, I, I was, first day on the job, I was like, Pastor, when you going to let me preach? <laughs> Never. <laughs> you know, when you going to, I'm gifted, Pastor, I'm gifted, I'm anointed. You need to let me up there. I need to do what I need to do. You know, I had no patience. And the Lord broke me very early when he realized how much of an honor it is to stand and to serve the king and to serve the word of God to the people. What I didn't realize in that moment was God was not only wanted me to wait for my moment, but he wanted me to wait on others in my moment. In, you know, we could talk about waiting time, but some of us won't wait and serve. Some of us won't wait like a waiter or wait like a waitress. We don't want to serve anybody else's vision but our own. We don't want to serve anything else but what we feel like doing. But can I tell you what? God has called you to wait on the needs of the people. God not only calls us to wait and be still, but he calls us to wait on the needs of others. There's a world out there that needs to hear the gospel. And can I tell you what? They don't need to wait till they wander in the doors of this church. You're the church. You need to take it where you're going. You need to preach it in your job. You need to preach it in your house. I don't care if your babies ain't never loved the Lord. Okay, listen, I ran from the Lord a long time, but my dad never stopped praying. My dad never gave up on me. I think many of us, we are missing out on our moment because we have refused to wait. We refuse to wait on it. The calling of God and the timing of God are not the same. They're not the same. He called you before you got here. And your time to step in the pulpit and your time to step in that promotion at work, it comes at his own according and dealing, not our own wishing. Could we be only a few decisions away from God pouring out his blessing and his favor on our life? Could it be the only reason you haven't found what you're looking for is because you refuse to wait? Here's what we do. We forfeit our right to experience what God has for us because we're too busy looking around at those who have already gotten ahead. Wondering, when is it going to be my time, Lord? When am I going to get my chance? Here, write this down. If you write anything down, I want you to write this one thing down right here. Just because someone else already has what you want doesn't mean that you won't. Just because somebody else already has what you want and you desire doesn't mean you will never get that. Patience. What's funny is David comes carrying a bag, right? And in the bag is bread and cheese. And what I find just a few verses later when he steps onto the battlefield is he reaches where? Inside of a what? Bag. A bag because that's where he put the stones. Could it be that the very vehicle that God is trying to get you to serve in is the vehicle he's going to give you ammo to fight the enemy with, but you won't do it because you haven't had the confidence to serve in that time. The same God who instills confidence in you while you wait is the same God whose confidence you will find when you lead. You need his confidence while you wait, and you need his confidence and strength and encouragement when you lead. Confidence is the key. Look at your neighbor and say, confidence is the key. I'm going to try to land this plane. Come on. I'm a fast. Whoop. I just believe in the meat right here. The last one is this. Somebody's like, yes, confidence comes. From trusting God despite the circumstance. 
You know, there's nothing like a scary situation to make you do a 180 on what God's asked you to do, right? We want to reach the world, right, until God says, go on down to Seven Bridges in Atlanta and, and go, go, go talk to some of the homeless people down there. Or maybe the homeless people here in Noonan. Like, we're all about the mission until the mission gets to the moment. Trust God despite the circumstances. I believe fear is real. If fear was not real, confidence would not be needed. But it is. Confidence. I love our scripture says take heart, take confidence, take encouragement. Because God has overcome what we're facing. But when we face difficult decisions, here's what your human instinct does. It is to run. It's always to run. It's always to get away. No, no, no. Like if, if a snake fell down from the ceiling, let's hope that it doesn't. This is not one of those places, by the way. I got a feeling a lot of you start running, all right? I'm just saying, okay? We would start running. We would run. Can I tell you what? The longer you run from your problems, the longer you run from your purpose. And many of us have not found our calling and purpose in life because every time God's given us a difficulty, we've backed away. We've stepped out. We've taken the distraction. Life, listen, life can be really hard, okay? I'm not going to deny that. In fact, I'm going to share just a little bit of my own life with you. You know, I told you I grew up in a, in a big family, loved my family to death. My parents loved the Lord, okay? Prayed over you all the time. It was so annoying to try and step out of the house because dad would grab you and say, son, no, 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 no. Before you get on the bus, let's pray. And I remember God was stirring something special in my life. It was youth camp. I was in middle school, about 12 years old. And I remember God calling me to do something totally different than any of my siblings or any of my friends. God was calling and birthing something special in my life. And in that moment, in that, in that very tender moment with the Lord, I said yes to his calling. But what I did not know is when you say yes to the calling, you say yes to the fight in the battlefield because you become a target by the enemy. Just a few months later, uh, I began to not feel very well. Um, my mom is a nurse, a fantastic woman, uh, and she knew that something was more wrong with me than, than some Tums or something like that could fix. So we went to the doctor, and I'll never forget my mom waiting for the phone call to come back from the lab results and the look on her face. You see, I was diagnosed with what's called Crohn's disease. My mom has Crohn's, and she's battled with it all of her life. It's been a big struggle for her. And she was a broken woman when her pretty little handsome boy found out that he had Crohn's. And so it was really, I didn't know what was going on at the time, okay? When you're 12 and 10, you know, you're worried about Legos or something, you know, or starting to worry about girls. But my mom and dad were pretty broken people. But my mom and dad were praying people. So they began to pray and they began to seek the Lord. And so later on, I went in to have part of my colon removed. And we went in for surgery. And I came back out. And the doctor said, I don't know how to explain this. Best lines ever. But there's no more Crohn's in your son's body. And it's because, yes, give the Lord credit for that. It's because my parents had confident, but they were confident in my calling. That despite what I was going to pay, face, I was going to fulfill what God asked me to do. Later on, you know, I, I get going and I really forget about it. I actually kind of hide it away. And I'm a very active athlete in high school. I love to wrestle. Wrestling was my thing. Conditioning was my thing. I conditioned all year round. And I'll never forget, I was in practice one day. We were running and running and running. And all of a sudden, things didn't feel right. And I collapsed in the middle 
of practice, I had had a heart attack. 16 years old. Um, and it started this journey. I found out I had a form of cardiomyopathy where the electrical pathways in my heart are built wrong. And uh, I was went in for a catheterization and ablation. Surgery went wrong. Had to defibrillate me back to life. Uh, terrible situation. And I was told that my heart had been so damaged that by the time I was 26 years old, I'd need a new heart. Um, that I needed defibrillator, major reconstructive surgery. It was just, it was in bad shape. So what they began to do is put me on a diet regimen, and they began to put me on no exercise, things like that. And everything that I loved was beginning to be taken away from me. And what I allowed to do, and allowed the devil to do in that moment, was steal my calling. And so I began to start down this road very angry with the Lord, wanting to walk away from his calling and what he's doing in my life. Seven years go by, I decide to answer the call of the Lord. Finally, I moved to Lee University. I went to college. I had a fantastic internship, and I've shared this before. But I remember I was standing in Thompson Bowling Arena waiting for my pastor to get done. He was preaching the service, and the Lord spoke as clear in my ear as he ever has in my life. And he says, how do you expect to lay hands and believe in healing for these people if you don't even believe that I can heal you? And in that moment, two, five gentlemen came walking up to me. Two of them were pastors, and they said, the Lord just told all of us in this moment to pray for your heart, and we're not moving until we do. And on the steps of Thompson Bowling Arena, the Lord rebuked the devourer on my life, and healing began to take place, and I'd never had another heart episode again. I gained weight. I got to Lee. I was 160 pounds, graduated 200 and something pounds. And I got back to exercising in life. Because see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal your life and your joy. And I wish, I really wish that that was the end of it all. Um, but I started out in ministry just gung-ho. And if you know anything about pastors, okay, if you really know what goes on behind the scenes, is we all have many, many jobs. We don't just preach. That's not like what we do. Uh, and I remember my first job, I have a construction background. And the church had me climb onto the rafters about 18 feet in the air, 17, 18 feet, and fix the insulation every couple months. It would just fall down. We were too broke to fix the whole thing, so we just kept putting a young guy up there with some duct tape. And um, one of these days, I've done it many times. I'm not scared of heights or anything. One of these days, I'm all by myself, and I'm on top of these rafters walking, taping, and in walks a good friend of mine, and he goes, Sup! Hey, man! And it scares me, and I fall. And I hit the beam on the way down, and then I hit the floor. And instantly I knew in that moment that something was very wrong. I had broken all the ribs on my left side and punctured my lung, broken my hip. Most importantly, I had severed my spinal cord, where it goes from my neck to my armpits. And I was dying. We had been married just six months, seven months. They called my wife in, and if you know my wife, she's the sweetest woman out there. And she just goes are you guys going to take him to the hospital in the small town that we lived in? They said, oh, no, ma'am. There's a helicopter coming. <laughs> We're going to take him to Duke. And so I remember being put on the helicopter, life flighted to Duke. My lungs are filling full of blood, and I'm dying. The life flight nurse says, Ben, if you don't breathe, I'm going to shove this tube down your throat. I need you to breathe with me. I need you to breathe with me. And they land at Duke. I'll never forget the sun on my face. They wheel me into the trauma ward. It's just like on TV. There's doctors everywhere. The doctor leans over. She says, hi, Ben. You've 
suffered a severe spinal trauma. We believe you have severed your spinal cord. You've clearly broken all the ribs on your left side. Your body is swelling full of blood. We're pumping blood out of you. So if you ever want to use your arms again, we're going to have to operate on you in the next hour and a half. So I'm all alone in this hospital. It's an hour and a half drive from where I was. They wheel me down to the CT scan and they put me in there and I'd never forget just talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, you can't let me die like this. You promised me so much. You promised me so much. I've never held my son. I've never done these things you said I could do. You promised me these things. They wheel me out and they wheel me back to the trauma ward. And I get in there. The doctor comes over to me. She says, Ben, I don't know how to explain this to you. But there's no broken ribs in your body anymore. But you still can't use your arms. Couldn't feel my arms. Couldn't use them. She said, we got to put you in an MRI tube. we got to operate on you as soon as we can. But we need to know where it's damaged first. So they wheel me down to the MRI and pull me out. And I'm so full of steroids by now. I'm just throwing up in the hallway. They don't even stop to clean it up. They just keep wheeling me. And I get back into the room and they're working on me and Emily's not there yet. And a man of God comes in the room. He's called my dad. He wasn't allowed in there. He walked in the room. All the doctors look at him like, what are you doing in here? But the anointing was so heavy on him, there was nothing that could stop him. And he walked in that room and he grabbed me by the toe and he said, hello, son. And he walked over to me and he began to pray these words. He said, in the name of Jesus, devil, you've tried to kill my son over and over again. And right now you think you've got him at your doorstep, but I got news for you. You didn't just kill him. You just elevated his ministry more and more. And he's about to reach a group of people he never could reach before. And he's about to walk out of this joint. And my father kissed me on the forehead. And he said goodbye. And he walked out. <laughs> now I didn't see him again. You know why? Because a man had confidence. Come on. About 10 minutes later, doctor comes back in and he says, I don't know how to explain this to you, but you're the first human I've ever seen with extra spinal cord wrapped up in your mind. I said, sir, you don't know the man I work for. Come on, somebody. It's not a, I don't care what devil's try to stand against you. The calling of God is on your life. Confidence needs to be built. I know that things are bad, but I know when things are bad, God gets big. He gets big and he bows up and he says, devil, you can't have my children. You can't have this house. You can't have his destiny and you can't have his future. God is standing at the door waiting for you to have that confidence. Where's your confidence lie? You can stand. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Come on, God. God is a God of promises. He's not a God of failures. And just because you don't see it now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Even if you don't know if the situation's going to be fixed, you can still have confidence. Why? Because you don't need to know the how. You know the who. Come on. You know the who. It's not about how much confidence you have. It's where you put your confidence that matters most. I got confidence in that seat when I go sit back down, but can I tell you what? I got more confidence in the Lord. I've seen him move. And some of you, you have seen God move time and time again in your life. Why have you forgotten what he's done? John 16, 33, I'm going to end it with this. I think that 
I have told you these things. We're going back to this verse because it's powerful. I have told you these promises. I have told you I'll take care of those kids. I have told you I'll take care of that sickness in the doctor's report. I told you those things are going to be fixed that in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Take confidence. Jesus has overcome the world.